Chapter 19 of The Land of Frozen Suns. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Land of Frozen Suns by Bertrand W. Sinclair. Chapter 19 The Strength of Men and Their Weakness. No wind could reach us where we sat. At the worst, a gale could little more than set the treetops swaying, so thick stood the surrounding timber. But the blasting cold pressed in everywhere. Our backs chilled to freezing while our faces were hot from the nearness to the flame. Presently, at Barreau's suggestion, we set up Montel's tent, fashioned after an Indian lodge, in the center of which we could build a small fire. This was for her— we chopped a pile of dry wood and placed it within. By that time the moose meat was thawed so that we could haggle off ragged slices. These I fried while Barreau mixed a bannock and cooked it in an open pan. Also we had tea. Jessie shook her head when I offered her food. Willy-nilly her eyes kept drifting to the silent figure opposite. "'You must eat!' Barreau broke in harshly upon my fruitless coaxing. "'Food means strength. You can't walk out of these woods on an empty stomach, and we can't carry you.' A swarm of angry words surged to my tongue's end, and died unspoken. Right willingly would I have voiced a blunt opinion of his brutal directness to a grief-stricken girl at such a time, but she flashed him a queer, half-pleading look, and meekly accepted the plate I held before her. He had gained my point for me, but the hard, domineering tone grated. I felt a sudden, keen resentment against him. To protect and shield her from everything had at once become a task in which I desired no other man's aid. "'Now let us see how much of the truth is in the black factor,' Barreau began, when we had cleaned our plates and laid them in the grub-box. He turned down the canvas with which I had covered Montel, and opened the front of the buckskin shirt. Jessie stirred uneasily. She seemed about to protest, then settled back and stared blankly into the fire. Deliberately, methodically, Barreau went through the dead man's pockets. These proved empty. Feeling carefully, he at last found that which he sought, pinned securely to Montel's undershirt beneath one arm. He brought the package to our side of the fire, considered a moment, and opened it. Flat, the breadth of one's hand, little over six inches in length, it revealed bills laid smoothly together like a deck of cards. Barreau counted them slowly. One, two, three, four, on up to sixty. Each a thousand-dollar Bank of Montreal note. He snapped the rubber band back over them and slid the sheaf back into its heavy envelope. Le Noir did not draw such a long bow after all, he observed to no one in particular. Yet this is more than they offered me. Well, I dare say they felt it would not be long. He broke off with a shrug of his shoulders. 
Then he put the package away in a pocket under his parka. Jessie watched him closely, but said nothing. A puzzled look replaced her former apathy. That night we slept with the dogs tied inside our tent, and the toboggan drawn up beside our bed. I did not ask Barreau his reason for this. I could hazard a fair guess. Whosoever had deprived Montell of his dogs might now be awaiting a chance to do a like favor for us. I would have talked to him of this, but there was a restraint between us that had never risen before. And so I held my peace. I fell asleep at last, for all the silent guests that lay by the foot of our bed. What time I wakened I cannot say. The moon glare fell on the canvas and cast a hazy light over the tent interior. And as I lay there, half-minded to get up and build a fire, Barreau stirred beside me and spoke. "'Last night was Christmas Eve,' he muttered. "'Today, peace on earth, good will to men, Merry Christmas. What a game, what a game!' He turned over. We lay quite still for a long time. Then in that dead hush a husky whined, and Barreau sat up with a whispered oath, his voice trembling, and struck savagely at the dog. The sudden spasm of rage subtly communicated itself to me. I lay quivering in the blankets. If I had moved it would have been to turn and strike him as he had struck the dog. It passed presently, and left me wondering. I got up then and dressed. So did Barreau. We built a fire and sat by it, thawing meat, melting snow for tea, cooking bannock, all in silence, like folk who involuntarily lower their voices in a great empty church, the depths of a mine, or the presence of death. Afraid to speak? I laughed at the fancy, and looked up at the rankest sound of my own voice to find Barreau scowling blackly at the sound, I thought. Before long Jessie came shivering to the fire. The rigors of the north breed a wolfish hunger. We ate huge quantities of bannock and moose meat. That done, we laid Montel's body at the base of a spruce, and piled upon it a great heap of brush. Jessie viewed the abandonment calmly enough. She knew the necessity. Then we packed and put the dogs to the toboggan, increasing the load of food from Montel's supply, and leaving behind our tent and some few things we could not haul. Barreau went ahead, bearing straight south, setting his snowshoes down heel to toe, beating a path for the straining dogs. Fierce work it was, that trail-breaking. My turn at it came in due course. Thus we forged ahead, the black surrounding forest and the white floor of it irradiated by the moonbeams. Away behind us the aurora flashed across the polar horizon, a weird blazon of light, silky, shimmering, varicolored, dying one moment to a pinpoint, leaping the next like sheet-lightning to the light of the North Star. This died at the dawn. 
over the frost-gleaming treetops, the sun rose and bleared at us through the frost haze. And that inverted bowl they call the sky, where under crawling, cooped, we live and die. The tent-maker's rhyme came to me and droned over and over in my brain. The bowl arched over us, a faded blue, coldly beautiful. At our noon camp a gun snapped among the trees, and a dog fell sprawling. As we sprang to our feet, another husky doubled up. Barreau caught the remaining two by the collars and flung a square of canvas over them. A third shot missed. He caught up his rifle and plunged into the timber. An hour or more we waited. When he returned, I had the toboggan ready for the road. "'I got his track,' he said between mouthfuls of the food I had kept warm. "'One man. He struck straight east when he saw me start. There may be more, though. It is not like the company to put all its eggs in one basket.' "'You think the company is behind?'